Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for each person that's here and ask you to be with us as we look at your word. Help us to see what you would have us to see and as we go through this chapter in Deuteronomy and that you will guide and lead in your son's precious name. Amen. Amen. Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 1. If there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams and gives you a sign and a wonder, and the sign or wonder come to pass wherever he spoke unto you, saying, Let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not hearken unto the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God proves you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice and, and you shall serve him and cleave unto him. And that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has spoken to turn you away from the Lord your God which brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of bondage to thrust you out of the way which the Lord your God commands you to walk in and, sh and shall you put the evil away from the midst of you. So we're going to look at this, this section, this first section. He says, If there arise a prophet or a dreamer among you who gives a sign or a wonder, all right, so this is somebody prophesying or doing miraculous things, and it says, And the sign and wonder come to pass wherever he spoke, and he says, Let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them. So they have a prophet, and the first thing, you know, we, when we, we talk about prophet, the first thing people think about on a prophet is somebody who foretells the future. And that is one of the roles of a prophet. The other uh, role of the prophet is that they're a spokesman or a speaker, and they speak with fervor and inspiration authorized by the person they're speaking for. Okay, so a prophet of God is somebody who's speaking with the authority of God and usually can be a teacher, can be, can, uh, be somebody who's speaking with authority. This is what people said of Jesus. He speaks as one with authority, not as the rabbis. He wasn't quoting other rabbis. He was saying, this is what it says. And you read about, when you read the different prophets in here, they're always saying, thus saith the Lord, and they're speaking with a strong authority that they're speaking for God. It's oftentimes about the future, but also just, we would today call many pastors who are really teaching the word prophets because they're speaking with authority. And not all, but many. So just bring that out. It, it, it's the idea of somebody who is speaking with great power and authority. And it says you've got this person who comes up they're speaking as a prophet. They're doing miraculous signs. And then they say, let's follow after other gods, which is kind of a contradiction in terms. If you're speaking in the prophet, you would not be going after other gods. You shall not hearken unto them, unto the words of that prophet or dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God proves you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So God, he's saying here, if you have somebody that says to go after other gods, God is proving you or assaying you, testing you to see if your beliefs are real. And we've talked many times when we believe something, God is going to test and see, is it really, do you really believe it? Is it really real to you? And this is something we see over and over in our life. God teaches us something, and I've said it over and over again, you're going to be tested in whatever area God is teaching you in. It could be that he's just preparing you for the test, or it could be you're tested because of what you're learning. But either way, I've heard a lot of pastors twist it the other way and say that God prepares you for the test that comes. I really believe that he's testing to see whether you believe what he has taught you. But it ends up being the same thing. You get tested in what you're, what you're learning. But he says, God is going to, and I love the word being a say rather than prove, because that is when you go out, you know, the old uh, miners would go out, they'd find their gold or silver, they'd bring it into the assay office who would run the tests on it and say, yes, this is pure or it's not pure. Or it is fool's gold, it's not real gold. Or you know, it's, it's not silver. They would tell you, with a few tests that it is not the real thing or it is real. 
God does the same thing to our faith. He runs us through a t few tests and says, is it real or is it fake? And we have this great tendency, and I've said this over and over again, we have this tendency as human beings to lie to ourselves and say, I really truly believe this, and then as soon as it's tested, we realize, wow, I guess I didn't believe it as much as I thought I did. And this can run from anything from patience to trusting God in the middle of trials to just learning to love people. I mean, anything that God can test us on is going to be tested. And when we're studying his word, he'll test us on those areas. Are we going to believe him? When we're out there, do we believe that God created all things in six days? Or are we going to buy the world's definition that somehow everything just magically appeared and somehow formed an organized activity in millions of years and somehow just formed life when we know that life doesn't, isn't created from nothing? Now, have you ever thought about that? Evolutionists believe that if you hold a rock long enough and put enough water on it, eventually life starts. That's really what they teach. This, this world was a rock. It started raining, this pile of water with lots of minerals and things all of a sudden somehow formed life one day. And that life became the life for everything else. This whole idea of God will say, what do you believe? What are you going to believe? And are you going to believe it no matter what? When we think about the disciples, they went out and they witnessed for Jesus and they would be arrested and beat and they would say, don't go preach in his name anymore. And the next thing you know, they have a choice. I can go preach in the name of Jesus and get beat some more or I can obey them and not get beat. What did they do? They chose to preach in Jesus' name and get beat again, over and over again. And we need to be looking at this. How much do we believe what God teaches us? Are we willing to stand up, even if it's going to cause physical pain beyond the emotional and spiritual pain that we may face? And the spiritual and emotional pain may be harder than the physical pain to, to withstand. But God is saying, when these people come and try to take you away, you're being proved. And what is he proving? To know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And remember, we've talked about, in this case, heart is lab, which means your innermost being, who you are at the core of who you are. And this is something that is important for us to really start understanding. Who are we deep down, beyond what we say, beyond what we pretend around other people? And all of us tend to pretend around other people. We're having a miserable day, and somebody will go, well, how are you? Well, it's been, a, been an okay day. Now, very rarely we're going to say it's been a miserable, terrible day. I wish I had stayed and hadn't even gotten up this morning. <laughs> now, that's not usually how we answer that question, especially as a Christian. He says, I'm going to prove who you are in your innermost being or your soul, the seat of your emotions. When you are around somebody who's hard to get along with, do you immediately get angry and upset with them? Or do you drift off into the, where God says to be that we're to love and show mercy and grace. Most of us get angry with them at some point. Sometimes we go a little further. The more, we, the more we're trusting God in, in mercy and grace, the further we go. But it, most of us have that point where we just can't go beyond a certain point without being upset with somebody. And this is what God's saying. I'm testing. How far, how deep do you believe what I'm teaching you? Ultimately, our goal is to be so ingrained in God's word that what comes out of us is God in, some, in, in at least one or two areas. <laughs> Will we ever get to where God comes out of us in every single area? I don't think so, but there's a possibility because we've got God's strength in us. But you hopefully have seen the more that you grow with God, the more you become like him in at least one or two areas. And you're able to forgive people. You're able to love them. You're able to give mercy. You're able to give grace. And the longer you walk with him, the more that should happen in your life. Because he changes us from the inside out. In Jeremiah, he says he puts a new heart of flesh in us in place of the stony heart. He puts his law in us. How do we get it in us? We spend time in his word. And the more time we spend in his word, the more time we spend studying it, the more time we start talking about it, the more it gets into us 
and we become more like him. And I hope you've seen different people who seem to have this true in their life. You look at them and you say, that person just has learned to love people. That person has learned to forgive people. This person has learned to be very patient with people. It takes time. It takes effort to get God's word into us. He changes how we think, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. And over the years, you start realizing, I just reacted differently than I used to react. And you go, wow, I didn't want to beat that person up. I, I was willing to forgive them. <laughs> you know, God, I, I, I held my tongue. I really wanted to lash out them, but you helped me hold my tongue. I'm getting better. God, I wasn't tempted to do whatever it is that I normally would have been tempted. Why? Because he's changing us from the inside out. He indwells us and he changes us. And it's not us struggling, fighting, and, and whipping the flesh into, into, into uh, submission. It's God saying, I'm going to kill those desires. I'm going to crucify them. And you're going to live with my power. And we see those changes, and grace is what brings those along. Not the law, not the rules. Because when we're given law and rules, Paul tells us that, and we know for a fact that usually most of us, when you're given a law or rule, dis want to disobey that law or rule. And it's, it's very true. If you're trying to quit something, if you're, if you're a person who just is an overeater and you're trying to quit overeating, you're going to be wanting to eat all the time because you're trying so hard to follow these rules that say don't. And people who are on diets, that's part of what they go through. And that's why the new routine is you don't go on a diet. You change your eating habits. And it's a way of life. It's not a diet. Because a diet eventually will fail because it is a, I can't do all the things I want to do. And it's the same thing with, with sin. When we sit there and say, I can't do this and you know, when we say we can't, that means our desire is that we want to. And God wants to change the desire in us that I no longer want to. And he crucifies that want to. And then I don't have to worry about the sin because I don't want to do it anymore. And it takes time. It takes, it takes God working. But it's surrender. It's surrender to God and letting him change us. And this is why I've shared with people, when I'm witnessing to people, I'm not going to tell them, you know, that they have to change anything in their life because God will change their life. And I've talked with many people go, well, I just can't turn to God because I'm not ready to give up. And they name off four or five sins usually. And I'm going, did I say anything about giving up any sins? Well, that's what Christians do. I'm going, no, you need to get in a relationship with God. You repent of the sin that you have and God will take and, and change you in the ways that you're not even going to be aware of. Do they, do they need to change? Absolutely, they need to change. Am I going to tell them they have to change tomorrow? Nope. Because God is the one who's going to make the changes. And, and this has been true. Everything I've been going through in my life, I've, lived, I've looked and I'm going, God, I don't do this anymore. When did you take this desire away? When did you change my thought pattern in this? When did you change me? In his word. Having him change the way we think. Verse 4 says, And you shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice, and you shall serve him and cleave unto him. How do we do these things? We walk after the Lord our God, and we hold him in reverence and awe. When we're gazing at Jesus, everything else seems to fall away. You know, this at least has been very true for me. I pay attention to Jesus. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. When we are gazing at Jesus, we're gazing at the Lord. We're spending time in his presence. There's no room for sin. Have you ever been on the top, very, very top of the mountain spiritually? Everything is going right spiritually. Seems like the world is going right. You're not even bothered by sin when you're in that, that, that particular place. Because you're so focused on God, you're spending time enjoying with God. Moses went up on Sinai. He spent 40 days and 40 nights without eating and drinking with God and came back. And if you remember, his face shone and the people made him put a veil on his face because he'd been in God's presence and his actual being had changed. 
And this is something I've seen with Christians. When the people have been with God or are with God, you see that difference in them. There's a difference in those people. You can tell who's been close to God. At least I've, I've experienced it frequently. Where I just, you see that and you go, this person has spent a good time with God. And our goal is to be with God enough that we will be that type of person. People look at us. I've shared with, with you all, when I went to managers meetings, a lot of times I would be a late night meeting where they grabbed all these managers together and it turned into a drinking party for most of the managers. And it's like, I don't even want to be here. And it's God, show me some Christians. And within just a few minutes, we'd, we'd, I'd find a bunch of Christians and we'd spend the night just talking about God and what he'd done in, in, in life and everything. Talk about Bible. And it was an interesting thing. God would always show them, and you'd see them across the room. And I'd go, that thing, that, I'm going to go over and talk to that person. <laughs> that person looks like, looks like they know God. <laughs> and sure enough, they would know God. And this has happened over and over for me. And he says, I want you to walk after the Lord, fear him, keep his commandments, and obey his voice. We want, if we fall in love enough with God, we're going to want to be obedient. And this is one of the things I've said. You know, when we were children, hopefully we loved our parents enough that we wanted to obey them. Now, I know there are some rebels who just love to disobey their parents, but I was, I was the compliant kid. I always wanted to please my, parent, my parents as much as possible. Did I please them all the time? No. <laughs> But my goal was to try to please them as much as possible. And our goal should be to please God, not because we're trying to get him to love us. He already loves us as much as he's ever going to love us. Not because we're going to make him happy by being, by being obedient, but because we just want to do what he asks. And this is the goal we should have. God, I just want to try to be obedient. Change me into this obedient person and we are to obey his voice, we serve him, and then I love this, and cleave unto him. This is the same word that's used for marriage, to draw close to one another and become one. If I am glued myself to God, I can't help but do what he wants me to do. The problems are when I kind of push him away and say, God, I'm going to do things my way. And I have learned over the years, and even though I still do it, I have learned when I do it my way, I mess everything up. And it's amazing how many things I've messed up in my lifetime by doing it my way, pushing God away and say, God, I'm just going to go out and do, my, do things my way. But when I grab hold of him and I just hug on him and I say I'm going to stay as close to you as possible, let him be the leader, things go much better. And this is where we are when we are being tested. We're to draw close to him. We're to glue ourselves to him and say, I'm going to be tested. You're going to be the one that takes, takes and answers this. You said, take my yoke upon me, for I care for, because he wants to be the one that carries the burden. And all we are is strapped next to him, walking along beside him, and he's carrying the weight. Peter says, cast all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. We need to really trust God that God cares for us and this is where we will find ourselves oftentimes we'll find ourselves there when when we hear hear ourselves saying something like i've tried everything else i might as well pray that's not casting all our cares upon upon him if we really believed in casting all my cares upon him as soon as the problem hits okay god i don't know what i'm going to do about it but i'm going to let you be thinking about this as well and sometimes he makes us do the work. Sometimes he just gets us out of the problem. Either way, we start with prayer. We bring God in the middle of it. And how many times does God reveal the answer? And we go, man, this problem is just so simple. All I've got to do is this. And just a moment before, we had no idea what the answer was. But once we put God on our side, answers come. Answers become obvious, and we need to be able to pray to him and say, God, I need your help. I want to be glued to you because I can't do anything without you. And we need to really begin to believe this. Without God, we can't do anything. 
How often do we think that we can do something? Now, sometimes we start out on the right way. We believe we can't do something. We get a couple successes under our belt, and then all of a sudden we decide we can do something. And the successes became, were because of God, and we end up falling flat on our face. We need to be able to walk with him. Verse 5, And that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death, because he has spoken to turn you away from the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of bondage to thrust you out of the way which the Lord your God commanded you to walk in, so shall you put the evil away from the midst of you. Now in our case, we're not physically going to put somebody to death. We would get a lot of trouble in our world if we physically put these, these evil people to death. But we do need to put them out of our life. How many of us have people in our life that lead us astray frequently? Yeah. Might be family members. Might, unfortunately, be a friend. And I hope it's not a friend. If it's a friend, get rid of them. Family members are a little harder to deal with. But it might just be somebody, an acquaintance at work. But we need to put these people away that are trying to lead us away from God. And it can be very subtle at times where somebody just walks us very slowly down the wrong path. Some people can be very harsh. Sometimes I've seen people with friends that just lead them down the wrong path every time they turn around and you're wondering, why are you friends with this person? You're a Christian. Quit wandering down this way with this person. You're with them and you start talking garbage. You start thinking garbage. Maybe you actually start doing real sin, you know, but the inf- they pollute your mind and, and thought patterns. And God says, if this prophet is trying to take you away from me, kill him. And we need to do the same thing, maybe not physically, but we need to kill that friendship that draws us away from it. Maybe spend less time with a family member if they're drawing us away from God. Not totally sever it with these people because we still need to have an influence, but they should not. And I've said this over and over. You're your best friend should not be a lost person if you're a Christian. Because your best friend is the one you hang around with and the lost person will take you down the wrong paths. They don't think the way we do as Christians. And this is important for us to understand. The more I walk with God, the more I start thinking with Him, and the more uncomfortable I should be around the world and the things of the world. And I've said this many times with TV. I look at the TV and I'm going, all these things are against God's point of view. Why do I want to listen to all this stuff that's against God? So I don't watch a whole lot because it just doesn't jive with what God says. We see all these shows where people commit adultery and fornication and they do it and there's no consequence for it. Well, God says there's a consequence for it, a serious consequence for it. And we feed our mind on all these activities that have no consequence and we start thinking, well, maybe there isn't a consequence. And it's so subtle. We start not agreeing with God and agreeing with what we spend our time watching and doing. We start agreeing with the people that we hang out with. And this is why it's important for us as Christians to spend time with other Christians as much as possible. And again, I don't mean exclusively with Christians, because if you were exclusively with Christians, you'd have nobody to give the gospel to. But you shouldn't be spending all this time saying, I'm going, I'm going to convert. This is my best friend. I'm going to convert them. I'm going to hang out till they convert, till I get them converted. Well, unfortunately, normally it works the other way around. They convert you and draw you away from God. And this is why he's saying, kill that prophet. And in this case, they literally meant kill the prophet. I'm going to say we kill that, that relationship with them and say, no, you're, you're, you're trying to go the wrong direction. I cannot spend that time with you. And it's very critical that we do that. And why was they doing it? Because he has tried to turn you away from God. Anything that tries to take us away from God needs to be cut off and destroyed in our life. Period. So if you're hanging out with somebody and it seems that they take you the wrong path every time you're with them, I have an answer for you. Stay away from them. <laughs> and I mean stay away from them completely if they're taking you down the wrong path in a certain sin area. 
because it's not worth the conflict. It's not worth the penalties and the consequences for that sin. And we've talked about it. Sin has consequences. We will be forgiven, but there are consequences for the sin. And that can mean physical health. It can mean emotional health. It can mean spiritual health has been hurt by the consequences of sin. And we want to be very careful that we don't get turned away. And I love this. The God which brought you out of Egypt. Now we've mentioned Egypt in the scriptures almost always. It does mean literally place, but it also means the world. And this is what God's telling the Israelites. I took you out of, physically I took you out of Egypt, but I also took you out of the world. God does that with us. He takes us out of the world into his kingdom. We keep trying to sneak back into the world, unfortunately. And so do the Israelites. Remember, what do they keep telling Moses every time they turned around? They would gripe and complain and said it was better back in Egypt. You know, we had, we had onions, leeks, and melons in, in Egypt. Well, you were also working 16 hours a day with a whip on your back. You know, why do you want to go back there? But we had lots of food. You know, you know we had lots of water, but you, had, you were in slavery. We need to get it in our mind. When we want to go back to the sinful lifestyle that God delivered us from, and we, all we're thinking about is the, the fun we had. <laughs> there was also a slavery to it because we never were happy with what we were doing. Otherwise, we wouldn't have left it in the first place. And we think about this. People get into their sin, and they might have fun. Alcohol is one of those things that people drink. They think they're having fun, even, though, even when they're making a fool of themselves in most cases. Then they, get, then they drink to oblivion and forget what's going on, and then they wake up the next day wondering what kind of new problems they have in their life. And usually there's new problems in their life. At the very least, there's a hangover and an empty wallet from it. You know, so even if you had no other problems, you've got two big problems, a physical one and one that's going to be, how am I going to pay my bills? And this is just one of the many areas People get into adultery and fornication and can have all kinds of ramifications from it, from pregnancy to sexually transmitted diseases. Maybe, maybe a significant other that got involved is now mad at you or their, their significant other mad at you. You could have some physical problems as beyond the diseases. We need to be careful because sin has consequences. And this is what God's saying. I've taken you out of Egypt. Quit trying to go back to Egypt. <laughs> Quit trying to go back to the old ways. And he says, I redeemed you out of bondage. Jesus paid the price to take us out of the slave market. And says, I'm giving you freedom. And how many times do we want to use that freedom to try to go right back into the slave market and put ourselves right back under bondage? We do it too often. All of us do it. Greater or lesser degrees, depending on what our sin area is. But we all have a sin that besets us, that we fall for, and that we put ourselves under slavery for. And God says, stay away from it. Serve me. Cleave to me. And stay away from the world. Stay away from the bondage. Because he's trying, the sin is trying to thrust you away from the Lord. Have you ever felt like you're being pushed away from the Lord because you fell into a sin and you're getting pushed and it's like, uh, I, I want to go back, but I don't want to go back. I, I want to go back, but I don't want to. God, God doesn't love me anymore. I don't deserve to be loved anymore. And that second statement is absolutely true. You don't deserve to be loved, but God still loves you. And we need to keep that but in there. We do not deserve God's mercy. Okay? We don't deserve his grace because if we deserved his grace, it would be called earnings, not grace. If we did things that deserved his, his blessings, then that would be getting an earning, but grace. How often do we not give grace? And I've heard people go, they don't deserve grace. Well, you're absolutely right. They don't, but give it to them anyway. Because if they deserved it, it wouldn't be grace anymore. 
and God says that we're to give grace one to another. Just as he gives us grace, we're to give others grace. That means when somebody falls, we lift them up, we love them, and we encourage them to go back and, and get, get moving in the right direction. I want to be one that's known for giving grace. I don't want to condemn people for what they've done because I don't deserve what I get, and I want to make sure that I get, give grace because I get grace. And we want to be able to look at that. And then it says, so shall you put the evil away from the midst of you. You sever those. Sever those relationships that take you down the wrong path. If you have a problem with pornography and you get on the computer and looking at pornography, you need to stay off those sites and it may be that you get rid of your computer or you make sure that somebody else can have access to where you've been. It's important. You say, I'm not going to go. If you have a drinking problem, the last place you should be is in the bar <laughs> or at a drinking party <laughs> because that's not a good thing. You want to be careful. If you have a problem with drugs, don't be going to places where people are using drugs. <laughs> if you're having problems with adultery, do not go around people that are very easy to get into bed with. It's just not wise practice. Don't put yourself in the place to be tempted beyond what you're going to be doing in regular life. Joseph was a great example. Potiphar's wife kept coming after him over and over again, lay with me, lay with me. And he kept telling her no, and then one time she arranged it that she and he were the only ones in the house. We all know the story. Joseph did what every red-blooded man was going to do. He ran away. <laughs> and left his cloak in her hand. And this is, he knew what he had to do, and it was get away from the temptation. Because he knew that he was not going to be one that could stand there and, and be by themselves and not fall. So he ran from the temptation because he was a young man. He was young at that time, and he, he had all the desires of any other man, and he could have very easily have said, you know, well, I'm in Egypt a good distance from, uh, from father and mom, and I'm never going to see them again, and God has abandoned me, and that's why I'm here in Egypt. And he could have said, the heck with everything I know. I'm just going to commit these sins, and yet he did not commit that sin and ran from it. And oftentimes, that's our best answer. When we're in the middle of a temptation... Get away from the temptation. Don't spend time standing there looking at this temptation and saying, well, should I or shouldn't I? Well, I know I shouldn't, but it sure looks good. Run from it. Get away from it. Because if you run from the temptation, you're going to be better off. Because then you're away from the temptation. Adam and Eve are a great example. They're not supposed to eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge. And where do you find them? Next to the tree of the fruit of good and evil. They were not, can imagine the conversation, you know, I wonder why God has told us we can't eat of that tree. It sure looks pretty good. It doesn't look any different than the rest of the trees. That fruit really looks good. And they walk away and they come back, you know, it still looks pretty good. I don't know why we can't, you know, I, I'm, I'm, you know, ad-libbing on that, but I'm pretty sure that's how the questions were going. And then one day they meet Satan there. <laughs> well, I can give you Psalm 1 is a good one as well, because it is called the, the anatomy of a sin by many people. Uh, blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. So that's the first step, listening to the ungodly. Nor stands in the way of sinners. So you know, you know, now you're no longer walking past them. You're actually standing with them. Nor sits at the, in the seat of the scornful. So this is the way sin comes in. It's the same thing as what you're saying. I, I, I think I rem, Gary's got a verse and I'd have to look it up. Oftentimes it starts with us just listening to somebody as we're walking past you know, we're just kind of walking by, doing our life. And then the next thing you know, we're standing there. And this is where we get, uh, Joseph was that great example. He's walking around doing business and she keeps coming, come into the bedroom with me. And then one day, you know, he's standing there and he runs and not sits with them. But this is the way sin starts. It starts with me just kind of an entertaining the thought. It kind of hits me, you know, somebody, usually from outside, somebody's throwing it at me. But I stop and I start contemplating it. And then the next thing you know, I'm sitting in the, with the people doing it. And so, yes, sin almost always starts with the thought. Very rarely do, do people, quote, unquote, fall into sin. Very rare. You usually are making provision for it. 
when people commit adultery, like I said Sunday, most people do not go out one day and just say, I think I'm going to go out today and commit adultery. That's not usually the way it happens. Now, it does happen once in a while, but they, they start going out and they start sharing with somebody of the opposite, opposite sex and they start talking about how bad their marriage is and their problem, trying to get counsel. <laughs> okay, not very wise move at all. And then they kind of like the counsel and they start, like, you know, they start feeling good about that person. You know, this person actually has said some nice thing to me. You know, my spouse hasn't said anything nice to me for, for years now and you, you blow that out of proportion. <laughs> and this person's really being nice to me. And this is usually what happens in, in a romance in the office or a business place. You just have somebody being nice to you. A bit of flattery going on, a little bit of just being nice. And if you're having a bad place in your marriage, then that niceness all of a sudden sounds good. And you just, you, then you have lunch with them one day, you know, right out in the open, nobody, no big deal. And the next thing you know, you're going out and having a private dinner and stuff. And, you know, and it just escalates. And the next thing you know, you, you've committed adultery. But again, it started with the thought process, with unguarded life. And this is true of just about any sin that we do. It starts with an unguarded moment that just kind of flitters through our brain. And the next thing you know, we start thinking about it a little more. The thief you know, goes, well, gee, you know, that really looks nice over there. Nobody's watching it. Maybe I can go ahead and just take it. Six, if your brother, the son of your mother, or, the, or your son, or your daughter, or the wife of your, bro- of your, bo- the wife of your bosom, or your friend, which is your, uh, as your own soul, entice you secretly saying let us go and serve other gods which you have not known you nor your fathers namely the gods of the people that are around about you nigh unto you or far from you or the one end of the earth unto the other end of the earth you shall not consent unto him nor hearken unto him neither shall you shall your eye pity him neither shall you spare neither shall you conceal him but you shall surely kill him. Your hand shall be the first upon him to put him to death. And afterwards, the hands of the people. So we're going to look at this one. We're moving from the idea of a prophet, just somebody in general that's a leader or a teacher. And then he goes, says, your brother, the son of your mother, or an uncle, or your son, or your daughter, or even your wife, or your best friend, basically. He's coming to the intimate people in your family. If your intimate family is trying to draw you away, entice you secretly, saying, let's go serve other gods which you have not known. And then it says, namely, and I love this, how he describes it, namely the gods of the people that are around about you. So all the gods that are in, in that area that they're in. From one and far from you, okay, the ones that, if, the gods that are near you, the gods that are far from you, and they're, in this particular case, they're probably thinking Egypt primarily because they just came out of Egypt and all the gods of Egypt are different from the gods of the, of the uh, promised land. Or from one end of the earth even to the other end. Basically saying if they're enticing you with any god, anywhere, any place, you've got a problem. This is usually most people do not get caught up in the first one of a leader leading them in the wrong direction. Now that happens. We see this. We see this and hear about it. It makes the news real big when somebody, when some cult does some mass suicide pact because their you know, government's coming against them. But he's, hearing now he's going, your family. This one is a little harder to be able to get by. Your family. Especially if it's somebody you respect, which is why he starts with, brothers and uncles and even your wife your kids if they're leading trying to lead you down the wrong path any god you shall not consent unto him you're not going to give them you're not going to give them that yes we're going to do it you are not even going to hearken unto them and that is to hear you're not even going to listen to them how do we stop people from sharing the wrong information with us we tell them we're not going to listen and we walk away if we need to. If you have a problem with listening to gossip, you need to be able to say, stop, I don't want to hear any gossip. 
good good line will be let's if you want to tell me about this person let's go talk with them that way you can when they're present you can tell me whatever you want to tell me in front of them I've used that line many times and you know what I can tell you how many people have taken me up on the offer the answer is zero <laughs> people do not want to say things in front of the person that they're saying it in in front of they just want to try to malign them and, and hurt them behind their back. And we don't need to be listening to that stuff. We don't need to listen to people who are trying to drag us down the wrong path. We do not listen to people that are leading us into sin, following other gods. And then it says, and you shall have no pity on them, neither shall you spare them. These are ones that they're going to try to... If you've got somebody in your life trying to walk you down the wrong path, you need to be separated from them. You need to not be listening to them. Harder with family. Harder if it's your wife. Okay, If it's your wife trying to drag you down the wrong path, you've got a really hard life ahead of you. If it's your best friend, sever the relationship until, until they stop trying to drag you down the wrong path. If it's family member, you may have to sever these relationships. Jesus said that you, that you had to leave father, mother, brother, sister for him sometimes. And what he literally meant is he needs to be number one. They need to be in the second, third, fourth place. And if they're not going to follow him with you, you don't spend a lot of time with them. You leave, you leave that family relationship behind and treat them as you would any other person. Is that an easy thing to do? Absolutely not. If it's your child that's wanting to go down the wrong path, it's hard. We pray for them. We encourage them. But we cannot let them, let them think that what they're doing is accepted by us because it's sin. Will that cause hard feelings? Absolutely, sometimes it'll cause hard feelings. But you know what? From a Christian perspective, we should want the hard feelings more than we want to see them headed for hell. Because if we leave them thinking that they're making the right direction and the right moves, we're not helping them in the long run. And we need to be ready for that. Does that make it any easier to do? No. It is very hard to do. And we've got to be careful with it. And it says here, you shall not conceal them. In Israel, if somebody was being trying to lead the wrong way and trying to worship idols, they were to be brought out and put in front of the people. And again, they were to be literally executed in their case. Verse 9 says, But you shall surely kill him, and your hand shall be the first to put him to death, and afterwards the hand of the people. The death penalty in Israel for the Israelites was a very strict death penalty when we were in the in exodus and leviticus it talked about number one you had to have two witnesses that actually saw the crime and their wit their testimony had to agree not word for word but had to agree this is when when they tried to bring jesus to the to court and they couldn't find witnesses that would say the same that they could have their witness agree and then the person who was offended, the person who the adultery was committed against or the murder was committed against his family, that person threw the first stone because they were the one that was offended. And then everybody else threw the stones. That's the way the process was supposed to work. And it made everybody part of the execution. And you've got to remember in their day there was no centralized government. The judge in this case is going to be uh, Moses and a handful of people. A capital crime would come to him because that would have been a se severe enough one. It would have gone to the top. But he was the one that would make the judgment. Yes, the witnesses agree. The person would be thrown in the pit and the person who was offended started with this. And can you imagine this particular crime, God said, have no pity on them. This is your, this is your uncle, your brother, your, your, your own children, your wife, you know, somebody very close to you. But it, God says this is so serious. If they're trying to entice you into idolatry, they must die. 
And again, we come back to this idea that I was saying. We put away those who are going to take us away from God. And if they're going to actively try to take us away from God, we do not want to be around that person. It just has to happen. Now, if they're just anti-God, that's one thing. You know, we all have people who are kind of anti-God. They're just not. But there are people who will try to drag you into sin with them. Don't be hanging around with those people because those people are detrimental to your spiritual life. And there will be consequences. And Jesus and God here is telling them, put away evil. Put evil away from the camp. We saw Balaam. How did Balaam tell Balak to test the children of Israel when he couldn't curse them? He told him, well, I can't curse them, but I'll tell you how to get them to bring a curse upon themselves. Send in the girls and get the men to commit adultery and fornication and worship their gods. And they did that, and God killed thousands of them because they worshipped after other gods. They didn't follow this statement. If they're going to try to drag you into other gods, they're to be killed. They're to be executed. We need to do that. We need to put ourselves in a place where we're going to be successful. And this is something we need to be careful of. We do not put those who are going to drag us down around us all the time. And this is true even in the workforce. I mean, how many times have you been in a workforce and there's somebody who's just extra lazy? And usually when you're around that person who's really lazy, it makes you feel less like working yourself because it's why should I work hard when this person's being paid and getting away with it? Now, the most important thing is it may look like they're getting away with it, but usually the boss knows who's being lazy. They really do. They're not morons. They wouldn't be the boss if they didn't know who's working and who's not working. And when it's time to promote, when it's time to bring the next job in or whatever, they know who to bring in and who not to bring in. So just be aware. Stay away from those people. Work hard. Do the job. Stay away from the person who's trying to drag you down. So if we kill someone, we're supposed to be willing to get life in prison or, or executed ourselves for murdering someone that we feel that... Uh... As I said, this is, for us, this is going to be figurative. We're not going to go out and kill somebody. But in their life, in their, in their rules, this was the law. If, you're going to, if you wanted to uh, be an idolater, you were to be killed. So now it's kill the relationship. I would just kill the relationship at this point. If we killed somebody, we would go to jail. Then we would be first-degree murder, you'd be in jail for life, or you'd go to the electric chair. So don't do it in real life, no. It's, but for them, it was real. For us, it's sever that relationship. Kill that relationship because it's not what is good for us. my bridges. Or burn your bridges. Yeah. You know? well, in, this case, in this case, you are burning bridges. So. Yeah. Sounds pretty serious. It is serious, but you've got to think about how serious is this. If I'm hanging around with somebody who's going to lead me into sin... That's a pretty serious area in my life. Well, it can get us into a lot of trouble, but if nothing else, it gets us in trouble with God. It, it, there's and like I said, there's consequence for sin. We need to be understanding that consequent, there is consequence for sin, and even more importantly, there is more consequence than we think about when we first think about the consequences for sin. Because usually we'll rationalize. Well, I'm going to do this, and the only one I'm hurting when it, in this adulterous, you know, this adultery affair is myself and and this other girl, you know, this other girl, you know, as long as my wife doesn't find out about it. Well, you may have a lot more con, you know, consequence than that, because number one, maybe your wife does find out about it. Maybe her husband finds out about it. Maybe there's sexually transmitted diseases involved. Maybe you'll end up like David and having a pregnancy in the in the girl's life. And all of a sudden, you've got all these other things. You thought you had all, the, all your thoughts and planned. I'm just going to have a little bit of fun. And it's not hurting anybody. And the next thing you know, you, your whole life is falling apart because you compromised. You put yourself in a place to compromise. And we never know what the consequences are. But I can guarantee they're going to be more than you think they are. Yeah. The, the person who goes out and, and get, gets high thinking, oh, well, it's just this one time I can get away, and the next thing you know, they're addicted. Uh, 
all the things that go on, and it's very critical that we put away those relationships. It's going to be bad enough, the temptations, without those relationships. But to have somebody in your, in your presence just telling you about how nice it was when they were getting high the night before, you know, and it was really no big deal, and they're trying to encourage you to go out and get high with them. You know, or, you know, I really had a good time drinking last night, and, and you really need to come out and drink with us tonight. And they, and they just keep talking about it and talking about it and talking about it. Uh, you really need to kind of forget that Christian stuff. You don't need to go to church all the time. You know, come, come check out this other religion or this, t- this activity or that activity. Yeah. Be very careful. Be very careful of the voices you're allowing to get into your, into your head. Because it is so easy to be drawn aside. Our flesh wants to go that way anyway. And if we're listening to the, all these voices in our head saying, or out, even outside our head, you know, do this, do that, do this, do this. You know, it was really fun. We got away with it last night. There was no big deal. You should, you should come out with us. And the next thing you know, you're finding yourself following the, the bad company. And bad company does corrupt. It almost always corrupts. It's very rare for the good person to draw the bad person into their world if they're hanging around them. It just doesn't work. We're told to be, not to be unequally yoked for a very good reason. Because you usually, when you're unequally yoked, you get pulled down to the, to the lower person's level. Very rarely are, it does it work the other way around. Are there stories where somebody was successful, they got married and they pulled that person to being a Christian? Yeah, once in a great, great while, you'll hear that story. But the odds are like less than 1% that that's going to happen. You know, nobody wants to bet your life and your, and your lifestyle and your, and your relationship with God on that. It's just not worth it. All right, we're going to close here. We're, so let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity we have to come before you. Lord, help us to learn to have the right relationships with others. Help us to learn to cut off close relationships with those that aren't following you. Help us learn to read your word and to follow what you would have us to learn and and become more like you in all of our thoughts. And give us opportunities to share you with others. In your son's name, amen.